welcome back. I'm Ashley, your hostess for The Sharp End. This podcast is brought to you by the American Alpine Club and sponsored by Mammut. Mammut is a Swiss company specializing in mountain sports since 1862. A premium manufacturer of technical clothing, footwear, climbing gear, and alpine equipment, the company embodies Swiss technology and its products are distinguished by having the highest quality, functionality, and safety. Mammut assumes social responsibility and leaves behind the smallest possible ecological footprint so future generations can continue to enjoy the mountains. Mammut, absolute alpine. Thank you to Vertical Medicine Resources and the Colorado Hour Bound School for being contributing sponsors of The Sharp End. And there's one more thanks. Mr. Grayson Kemp. He helped a whole bunch editing this episode. So thanks so much. Your help literally came at the perfect time. All right, so this month's guest is an avid hiker and adventurer, sometimes heading into the hills solo. This particular incident occurred this spring, April of 2017. I recorded this interview only a week after the incident. This all happened in Tuolumne Meadows, the high country of Yosemite National Park, and it happened right before he was going to cook himself dinner. I'll let him give you the details. Welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, yeah, yeah. My name is Marcus Mazzaferi. I'm 25 years old, and I, I live out in, in Portland, Oregon right now. And uh, this last couple months, I, I had planned a trip to hike the Pacific Crest Trail. When did you start off on the PCT? So I started April 1st, just a few days after my 25th birthday. Of this year? Yep. And were you solo? I was solo. Yeah, I, I tried to convince lots of friends to quit their jobs and join me, but that's uh, easier said than done. And where did you start from? I started uh, from the Mexican border near a small town called Campo in Southern California. Cool. And then, yeah, go ahead and tell me what happened. Yeah. So, um, you know, the first 700 miles of the hike in general were real smooth. It was real nice. And then once we entered the Sierra, um, and by we, I guess I mean my fellow hikers and I, I wasn't really in a group. You know, the snow started picking up and it, it definitely turned into two separate hikes. There was the hike before we entered the Sierra Nevada, and then there was the hike after. And and the hike after was all snow, kind of mountaineering every day, uh, no trail. Uh, so the the incident itself, that day I started in a in a place called Tuolumne Meadows. I was around mile 943 of the PCT. And I had hiked 15 miles that day, and kind of out in the middle of nowhere, um, by myself. Uh, it was the end of the day. I got 15 miles in. Uh, I was actually just about to eat dinner and I came across two fairly rapid stream crossings, enough where you could probably do some whitewater rafting in them. How wide were they? The streams itself were probably maybe 20 feet across. And and how deep uh, you think? So the, the one that I, I'm going to tell you about, well, well both of them, because there was two, like one after the other, like cross the stream, walk 50 meters across the stream and they ended up actually converging a little bit further down but they were both waist deep so the first stream i kind of just charged in found a spot that i thought would work and uh I, I made it through it it was strong and you know i was getting pushed back a little bit and had a couple moments where it was like oh crap you know but i i got through the first one fine and i come to the second stream it was called return creek and it was certainly not a creek at this time uh there's been a lot of a lot of snow melt and it was it was going pretty fast. Like I said, it was up to my waist. 
and I kind of realized that this one was going to be a little bit harder than the last one. Um, and I scoured up and down the riverbank looking for possible places to ford it. And I started started crossing twice, actually, and chickened out because it, uh, it was strong. And I, I felt enough pushback. The friction wasn't holding my feet on the ground. So it, it was pretty strong. And I, I failed twice trying to get across. And I probably should have put up camp right then and there. Um, you know, if I think back in hindsight, should have put up camp, ate some dinner, thought about it, waited for the morning to come, see if the stream died down at all. But uh, I pushed forward. I really didn't want to be wet in the morning. So I decided, I was like, oh, I'll just get past this one more stream and I'll, I'll put up camp for the night. So I decide to power through. I face upstream. I start side shuffling. I've got my trekking poles out. I've got a pretty stable stance going. I mean, I'm, I'm making it pretty good. I'm, I'm through a quarter of the way. I'm not getting blown back. So I, I started getting to the middle of the stream, and that's when it started getting kind of scary. I kind of got to the point of no return where it didn't matter if I went back or forward. Uh, so I, I, I kept moving forward. And that's when I, I took another sidestep, and I thought I was on a stable rock on the riverbed. And once I shifted all my weight to it, uh, the rock gave way. Uh, I instantly fell, and the current took me. I started heading down towards, um, you know, a waterfall downstream because it was it was kind of a cascading creek, and there was a you know lots of rocks, a couple different you know smaller waterfalls, but enough where you know I probably would have smacked my head and got knocked out. And I was aware where this was. I had you know maybe 30 meters to collect myself and try and get out of that. And, you know, the first thing I did was try and get up and out with my pack on. And, um, my pack was around 60 pounds. It was pretty heavy and I couldn't get out with it on. Um, and luckily, you know, instinct wise, I ditched my pack right away and you're supposed to undo your hip belt before you cross these rivers, uh, just in case you do need to ditch it. And, uh, I, I ditched that pack just in time and, and I, I was able to kind of struggle and, and get out of the river before that first waterfall. And uh, next thing you know, I'm standing on the bank, uh, dripping wet, pretty cold, kind of confused as to what just happened. Uh, and I look down river and I, and I see my pack um, swiftly floating away um, out of my life. And that was a pretty surreal moment for me. Oh, my gosh. What, what time of day was this? So this was late. Um, like I said, I had gotten, you know, 15 miles in that day and I had not eaten dinner yet, but it was around 6.30 p.m. Actually, I remember looking at my watch. The sun was still up, but uh, it was quickly coming down. Like I said, I was I was going to put up tent on the other side of that damn river. <laughs> you were going to, and then you watched your pack float down the river. I watched my pack float down the river, and I'm pretty well aware of how how easily it is to, to die out there. And um, getting lost is probably the number one thing. Um, so I... I, I knew what I was in for. Like I had that pit in my stomach feeling once I watched it go away. So luckily, um, you don't really know how you're going to react personally uh, when you reach a situation like that. When you reach a situation like, all right, this is critical. Like I, I could die soon. You know, like I wasn't in immediate danger, but I was in the type of danger that had a, you know, a timeline on it. You know, there was only so long that I could last out there. Uh, so I, I started thinking through my plan actually right there on the riverbank and you know, th thinking through my possible options, you know, first thought in my head was, well, maybe I can go forward. No, no way. I have no maps. I have no nothing. I'd actually have to cross the river again. So I was like, okay, really my only option here is to backtrack. You know, the night before that morning when I started hiking, I had, I had reached Tuolumne Meadows, which is, is usually a, a nice little stop for PCT hikers, but because of the snow, 
you know, all their buildings were closed. It's kind of, it was kind of like a ghost town, like tiny mountain resort, you know, with maybe a few bunks and stuff like that. And that's where I had stayed the night before. Uh, there was an open, an open ski hut that they leave open in the winter just in case people need it. So I was like, I should get back to that. Um, at least it's shelter. So that was, you know, the first thing in my mind was I got to get back to that, uh, shelter. You know, the second thing was how, how am I going to get back to that shelter? And I had gone 15 miles that day. It was already 6:30. You know, there was no chance I was getting back there tonight. And I was in soaking wet clothes. I had, I had a pair of rain pants on and I had a, a long sleeve pullover on ball cap, my boots and a stopwatch on my wrist. I didn't have much clothes on. I, I, and they certainly weren't warm. <laughs> so I started thinking about nightfall and I was like, that's going to probably be the biggest challenge here is, is getting through the night. And I remembered on my hike that day, maybe seven, eight miles up from where I was at that time at the river, there was like kind of a boulder formation that, you know, for 400 meters, it was raised up out of the snow and this trail kind of ran right along it. And I was like, okay, that's where I need to get to tonight. I need to backtrack, you know, seven, eight miles. I need to, you know, use my footprints in the snow because there's no trail. I mean, there's so much snow out there. I, I haven't seen trail for, for weeks really, um, except for tiny sections like that, that I was thinking of. So the plan was backtrack that night, you know, start running. If I don't have my pack on. I should be able to move pretty quick, get to that spot. And then, uh, on to the next step and, you know, survive the night. So I, I started backtracking, which was kind of tough because I, I have glasses and I lost those in my bag. So there was a lot of <laughs> squinting and bending down and looking to see if those were actually footprints or not. It was a pretty stressful afternoon because <laughs> I knew if I, if I lost those prints, you know, I'd officially be lost. I was stranded but I wasn't lost because I knew that my prints were on the trail. So if I stayed with my prints, you know, I'm on the trail. So that was the initial plan right after I got out of the water. And that's what you did? That, that is what I did. So I, that night, you know, I, I started running. <laughs> like when I think back, <laughs> you know, it's just a, it's a memory. It's a memory now. But when I think back, like it was ridiculous. Like I was sprinting through the woods and the mountains tracking myself because I knew I had maybe a day or two to survive. <laughs> um, somehow, somehow I found my way back to the exact point I thought of and there was trail there and I got there and I'm like, okay, this is where I'm going to sleep for the night. So I, I kind of dug out under a pine tree. Um, cause I, I, I figured that there's more warmth, you know, if I like <laughs> cuddle with this tree trunk than if I just kind of lay out on, on the open. And so first I was just like laying there. Um, and this is as the sun was going down. And it was cold, but I, I knew I wasn't in immediate danger. And then once the sun went down, you know, it dropped below freezing and I, I started losing feeling in my hands and feet and it was, it was getting really cold. So I started a, a timer on my watch and it was for 20 minutes and every 20 minutes it went off. And for 20 minutes I would get up and I would go onto this like flat, boulder platform that was right by the pine tree, my, my bed for the night. And I would do jumping jacks. I would run in circles and I would do shadow boxing and I would do like air squats and just jump up and down. So for 20 minutes, I would just try to break a sweat as hard as I could because I didn't have much clothes on. So it was, it was pretty bad out there. And then uh, the timer would go off and I would I'd get under that pine tree and I'd kind of go into the fetal position to hold on to my warmth and 
that cycle without sleep went on from 9 p.m. to 6 a.m. nonstop. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's the only way I was going to survive. Is it was cold enough that if I if I had just laid there and fallen asleep, I I I probably wouldn't have woken up. That must have been really scary for you, Marcus. It was definitely terrifying in a sense. Um, I was actually surprised that I didn't freak out more. Um, and I think something that helped is I, I talked to myself the whole day, <laughs> like the plans I was making in my head, the thoughts that I had, instead of just leaving in my head, I, I said them out loud. And I, I think maybe when you're in a, a situation when you, you really are all alone, like out in the middle of nowhere, that can help to calm you down when you say things out loud. So I just, you know, talked through it. I think I sang a lot of songs, <laughs> might've made some deals with God <laughs> while I was laying there. And, uh, Next thing I know, you know, my, I kind of shut my brain off and kept doing that and the sun came up, you know, and I made it through step number two of my master plan was survive the night. And I, I remember thinking that, okay, that step's done. Time to think about the next thing at 6 a.m. The sun is up. Time to keep going. So you're doing these micro goals, it sounds like. and Yes. I, um, I can't tell you that that helped me compartmentalize the whole thing so much. What was goal number three? So goal number three... Um, there was a, a large waterfall. I think it was Tuolumne Falls. And I remembered there was a bridge that you had to ford water to get on the bridge, and then you had to do it again to get off the bridge. And then you kind of take this trail that takes you right next to the waterfall and starts bringing you up. So it was the step three was make it through those water crossings. Kind of the dangerous part, the part that I was nervous about, because that's what had taken me out the night prior. So I, I woke up that morning and got on trail and started running. And I, I got to that bridge that I was talking to you about. And the water was already higher than it was the day before when I had crossed it going the other direction. And I went in the first part and got to the bridge and I was just freezing. And I was like, all right, I, I shouldn't do the next one until the sun is warm enough that when I get to the other side, if I get to the other side, I can warm up and not, you know, start going hypothermic, you know, because I still have to go another seven miles because I'm not out of the woods yet. You know, there's still plenty of steps to go. So once the sun was up, I, I did that crossing. Uh, so I, I kept heading back after I got through those crossings. And, um, this is, this is a part that kind of, uh, is pretty personal to me and it, it means a lot. And, you know, everybody's different about this stuff, but I, I lost my tracks, uh, twice in a short period of time. Uh, and, I, I realized what losing my tracks meant. If I actually get lost out here, then there's you know 360 degrees of directions to choose. I could go in any one of those directions. How am I going to figure out where I'm going? Like I, I I'm not going to be. I have nothing to navigate with. And I lost my tracks. And I was in a patch of snow, you know, where it was hard, and I wasn't even making tracks at, at that moment. So I, I found myself, you know, kind of out of luck. I was like, ah, you know, crap. Like where do I go? Like I. I think for a second I just kind of zoned out and lost them and didn't realize I lost them until too late. And I, I'm, I'm searching around, I'm searching around, and you know I came across some some deer tracks uh, the first time, and the second time it was coyote tracks. And you know I was pretty desperate, and I, I decided to follow. Both times I followed those tracks for you know like a hundred meters or more, and, and, it, and it led me it led me back to my own my own footsteps. Well, that must have felt really, really reassuring. 
it was. Um, <laughs> that's when I and I, you know, I, I'm not I'm not a super spiritual person, um, but after that, I was like, all right, somebody's helping me out because that's that's really lucky, and that was a good morale boost, I, I would say. Um, and I and I would say morale itself in a situation like that is 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 vital to your survival. You know, I didn't want to die. <laughs> Uh, I remember back when I watched my stuff float away in the river, like that wasn't going to happen. I, I wasn't going to die. I mean, all, all we know is existence. All we know is life. And it's like, no, I'm not. This isn't ending. Um, the logical part of me, which stayed the whole time, it was like this little nagging voice in the back of my head was basically saying, you know, holy shit, holy shit, you're going to die. Like, there's no way you're going to make it out of this. You know, so many things have to go right for you. And then you need luck on your side, too. And I was able to shut that part at least all the way to the back burner. And I was able to let the part of me that wanted to live, the part of me that wanted to fight for it, that part won over. And I think keeping that part thriving and keeping your morale up and maybe singing some songs or like laughing every once in a while, like which I did. Like I tripped a few times when I was running through the woods and just totally bit it and like smashed my face in the ground. And I like sat there and laughed a little bit got back up and kept going. Like, I, I think all that stuff is, is what kept me calm. And I think staying calm and then, you know, executing your plan, like that's your best chance for survival. Mm-hmm. And I, and that, that was a huge help for me. So I had lost the tracks. I'd gotten really lucky and followed some animal tracks and I, and I got back, I got back to it. That's when I started feeling pretty optimistic. I had maybe three miles to go I knew where I was. I had a really good memory from the day before from when I was hiking and I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to get back to the spot I wanted to get back to. And, you know, I, I get those three miles in and I, and I get to this open plain kind of in a valley that I, that I did remember. And I, and I get to like the end of trackable tracks, if that makes sense. You know, the, I think the sun had started to, to fade away the rest of the tracks, not to mean that there was no snow on the ground. There certainly was a lot of snow in the ground. You still couldn't see the trail. But the part of me tracking myself, that part was over. Okay. So I had made it maybe like 13 or 14 of those miles back. So, you know, part of me is like a little proud of myself. I'm like, all right, like we actually did it. <laughs> um, but it wasn't over yet. I, I, I had no idea where to go. I was pretty disoriented because I'd just been looking on the ground, tracking myself all day. And I, I had no tracks to go off of. Starting to feel like I was out of luck. You know, I kind of knew that like that day. At that time, like, that was it. Like, that was my last good day. I was strong enough to, like, you know, make it over these challenges and get places. And I started kind of losing hope, not going to lie. And then I, I remember this clearly because it was probably the best moment of my life. Um, I heard kind of like the humming of machinery just bouncing around the mountains, you know, like it's echoing all over the place. Machinery? And I, in the wilderness? Yeah. Like, yes, machinery in the wilderness. So my, I mean, my first thought is no, that's not machinery in the wilderness. That's a that's a plane. And it was I'm a little hallucinating. Cloudy. Yeah, well, you're right, right. I'm like, God, Marcus, no. Like, I thought you had a full day of being, uh, you know, mentally strong. <laughs> like, you're losing it, dude. Uh, I thought it was a plane, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, okay, what do I do? So I, I just I decided to actually go back to the last track, the track that started to fade away, and I get to that point, and then I start hearing like the backup beeping noise, you know, like it's letting people know I'm backing up and, you know, like beep, beep, beep. So that was weird. I was tripping a little bit when I heard that. Cause I was like, okay, like there's definitely someone around here. And 
the bad part was I was in a really open field and I didn't have my glasses on. So I was snow blind from the whole day of looking at the snow and then I didn't have my glasses, so I couldn't see, but I just kind of started heading in the direction of that beeping noise. And it was, you know, all the way across this field on the other side of this very large river, the Tuolumne River. And eventually I get close enough. I'm like, what is that? What's going on? And it's still far off in the distance. And then I hear the beeping noise and I can make it out. And there's a huge construction vehicle, like a bulldozer, out in the middle of nowhere, like plowing, shooting snow up in the air. And then I, that's when I connect the dots. And I'm like, okay, that has to be Highway 120, the Tioga Road. That road runs straight into Tuolumne Meadows to the shelter that I wanted to be at. And it was on the other side of this river. And this river is like 50 to 100 meters across, like a wide, strong river. And I get, you know, this guy in my sights and he's way off in the distance. And I start sprinting across the snow towards the river because, you know, in my head, I'm like, okay, this is it. Like, this was the luckiest thing that could have happened. Like, this is a person in a vehicle who got here. Like, this is it. This is lucky. And uh, I'm sprinting across the field and I come up to the river and, you know, rivers are kind of a sore subject for me now. So, (laughs) (laughs) but I, there's so much adrenaline going. I just dove straight into it and started swimming across. And that was the coldest thing I have ever (laughs) experienced in my life just a really tight feeling in your stomach and like lungs. Like it was very, very cold. And I swam across that. And luckily I think the adrenaline overcame like the shock of the cold, but you know, I eventually got over this river and then I I came up and, and kept running towards the bulldozer. And, uh, I finally got there (laughs) looking really rough, like just dripping wet Lips are blue. I, I, I couldn't talk because I was so cold. And I knocked on like his window, like on the bulldozer. I remember him looking over and he just, he had like no idea what he was looking at. And he was so confused. And he, and he opens up the door and I just start speaking gibberish because my lips don't work. And then he offers me his lunch, which I devoured immediately. <laughs> and uh, he starts calling it in calls his boss and we, we figure out what to do. I got to ride in a bulldozer for a couple miles, met up with a ranger and I was officially out of danger. Um, and then that was a good moment. It must've been really relieving too. It was so relieving. I mean, after coming to grips, like kind of accepting your probable death and then getting a chance of, here you go, go after it. Like, here's your chance at life. It's the most alive I've probably ever felt in my life. And I, and it was right after feeling probably the most dead I ever felt in my life. Wow, that's pretty contrasting emotions and pretty amazing story too that you survived and you made it and you know you, that switch in your brain flipped hiking the PCT to survival mode with no food, no and, yeah, water, and like no clothes, second. no shelter right. and a, yeah, and all in a split second just to watch your your entire life float down the river over a waterfall. Yeah, I, I'll never forget that. Standing on the riverbank watching the bag float away, it was pretty surreal. <laughs> so Marcus, knew, how, how yeah. many miles did you end up doing on the way back? So that, uh, I think it was about 15 miles, yeah, um, which is ex- extremely lucky. And, and you know, I, I'm i a fairly logical thinker, and I, I realized how statistically that probably wasn't going to work out for me. <laughs> That's a lot of footsteps to to track and the, and the, and the snow changes in consistency and, you know, just one moment of, of zoning out 
following my steps and I, you know, I could technically be lost, you know, it was a tall order, but it was my only shot. I mean, that was the only plan that had any viable chance of survival, any percentage of survival where I made it out. Okay. So then what happened? So you're like you're cruising in the bulldozer with this guy <laughs> who's now lunchless. And, um, the, that's the real tragedy of the story is that that good man did not get lunch that day. <laughs> Um, and then, so the, the ranger, you meet up with a ranger and he, and they warm you up. And then once I got, you know, in the dozer and with a jacket on, I started warming up and I, I was like, kind of how I'm talking to you now. Like I was fine. And, uh, yeah, the guy that was plowing, he, he drove back and he handed me off to one of the rangers. You know, I went through my story with her and, you know, we were blasting the heat in the car and, but you must've been exhausted. No. Not at all. I, that kind of rush with the adrenaline, with the, I'm alive, you know, like I get to live, you know, like, cause I, I thought a lot about a lot of things during the day and, and that night, you know, just things that were important to me in life. And, and that's the kind of the stuff that you think about when you're in those situations, you know, kind of what's important to you at your core quickly surfaces and becomes all you can think about. Lots of people that I've interviewed have had sort of this um, this driving force that has helped them make it out alive, quote unquote. Um, right. And yeah. there's, there's always like this external force that, oh, I, I don't think people, people say, oh, I wouldn't have been able to do it without the thought of my mother being distraught or the thought of my yeah. partner. I mean, and it's pretty real. It, it helps so much to have that kind of like strength to pull on. Um, I mean, I, I would say you, you have to have, you have to trust yourself. Like you have to have faith in yourself, but then you also have to put a little faith in, you know, in some other things, whatever it is that you like to draw on. You know, I, I thought a lot about my grandfather who I was close with and I felt like he was helping me out, you know, stuff like that. And that kept me like kind of hungry to survive instead of scared, I mm -hmm. guess, like it, it makes you motivated and, and whatever you need to pull on, whatever it is, like, as long as you can stay strong and just keep fighting for it. What other advice do you have for our listeners? Like what are some learnings from this incident that you came out with that you want to tell yeah, our so listeners? There's a lot to learn, I think, from the situation. And, and you know, I've been getting a lot of support from people and they're, you know, they're happy I'm okay. And they're glad that I was able to, to fight through the situation. And yes, all those things are things that you should learn from as well. If you ever are in a survival situation like that, like you, you can't give up. You have to be positive. You have to make a plan. You got to stay calm. But I think more importantly than that is don't be in that situation in the first place. And that's not always avoidable, but I, I think in my situation, it was avoidable. And I was pretty confident coming into it. And, you know, I'd made it through around a thousand miles of the hike. I'd gone over all the major mountain passes I've been over a bunch of streams. I was hiking fast. You know, I got a little bit cocky or I, I didn't take enough caution uh, for that river. I didn't I didn't listen to myself. So when you're out there, number one, don't go alone like I did. I think that's something hikers should learn. I mean, there's solo hiking is incredible. But in, in, a, in a year like this year where there's record snowfall in the Sierra, there is no excuse for me being by myself. So I think that's one thing that people should learn. You know, if there's other hikers out there that that want to be alone like I did, like think about that. At least if, if there's other hazards, if there's unusual hazards out there, you need to have a buddy system. You can, you can cross streams easier with two people. Um, on top of that, if you come across something that you're not comfortable doing, uh, maybe sleep on it, maybe set up your tent, sleep on it, 
think about a, you know, if there's any other plans, but if you're truly not comfortable doing it, you know, there's no harm in turning around, you know, before something bad would happen. And I think as hikers, a lot of us like to think that you can get over everything. And, and a lot of times it feels that way. It felt like that for me. But there are things out there where you either need to find a better spot or you need to wait or maybe you just can't get over it. I mean, those are possibilities. Um, and there's going to be people that disagree with that. But uh, I stand by what I'm saying. So <laughs> I have one more. And, and this is something that I think helped. And this is why I, I even shared my story in the first place was you know, so other hikers could could think about these hazards, think about these situations, think about how they would react or what they would do differently. And uh, I would say when you're crossing streams, like, yes, unclip your hip belt like I did, but also you need to have some things on your person, on your body. You know, if you have a spot device, it needs to be on your body. You know, you should have your map and compass on your body, maybe a fire starter on your body. I didn't have to be stranded with nothing. But I just had happened to have everything in my bag and I had been over rivers like this before and I just went. But, you know, in hindsight, if I had had that stuff on me, you know, I I could have pressed my spot device button right then and there. So I just really hope that it helps others in the future. I think it will. And I, again, I really appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing your story and sharing your advice. And um, I am very thankful that you are here to talk about it. <laughs> Thank you, Ashley. I. <laughs> I'm happy to be here too. I, I have said that so many times in the last week. You know, a week ago, I was swimming across that river for dear life, trying to get to that bulldozer, and that and that was a that was a sweet sweet feeling that I hope I carry that with me for the rest of my life. Well, thanks again, Marcus, for being on the show. And I just wanted to add a couple of things here. Um, wait for high water to drop to a safer level before you cross a creek or river. Fording a river, a stream that's running high from rainfall um, or is a raging torrent from snowmelt is dangerous and unnecessary. High water levels usually fall quickly throughout the day. Um, and so if you wait for the level to drop, it's probably a lot safer, even if it means um, a delay. Remember to face upstream and use a trekking pole to maintain your balance. Try and stay low. Unbuckle your hip belt and your sternum strap in case you do fall in the river, you can just let go of your pack and um, save yourself versus your stuff. And remember, if you are lost, don't run. Remember to stay calm and go slow. Well, that's it for the 18th episode of The Sharp End. Thanks to all you listeners. Make sure you go to iTunes and leave me a review. It turns out those go a long way. This episode is sponsored by Mammut, Vertical Medicine Resources, and the Colorado Outward Bound School. Vertical Medicine Resources is an innovative climbing medicine company. Check out their new book titled Vertical Aid, Essential Wilderness Medicine for Climbers, Trekkers, and Mountaineers. The Colorado Outward Bound School has been changing lives through challenge and discovery for more than 55 years. Offering wilderness expeditions in Colorado, Utah, Arizona, Alaska, and Ecuador. Courses range from eight to 81 days in length for ages 12 all the way through adult and include backpacking, mountaineering, rafting, canyoneering, and rock climbing. Visit cobs.org to plan your next adventure. And who knows, maybe I'll be your instructor. Until next time, play hard and be smart.